And I would encourage any business that you're building to really try and build a business that is not dependent on people. It's dependent on systems and process. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. In today's episode, I'm actually bringing on our company's business coach, or more specifically, our EOS implementer, which stands for Entrepreneur Operating System. His name is Corey Wright. We've been working with him now for over five months. And to be honest, he has been a complete game changer at helping us figure out how we run our company, build a leadership team, and the impact his work has had has been transformative. On top of that, he's a three-time founder that stood up a SaaS company that's done seven figures, an e-commerce company that's done over $3 million a year. And now he's in the blockchain space doing something that just raised um, essentially eight figures in, in funding. So this one's really helpful for any founder that's out there that's thinking about really creating a business that can run without them and a framework for doing that. Corey kind of lays out everything he's done working with over a hundred different companies, implementing the entrepreneur's operating system, EOS. So really hope uh, this one is helpful for you. That's been really helpful for us um, working with Corey. So enjoy. All right. Today I have, uh, I can call Corey a friend. Um, I have Corey Wright on the podcast. And this one I'm really excited for because Corey in the past basically four months has come into our company at GrowthFit and done a very specific role that, to be honest, has changed how we run everything. And what is it that he has done? He has implemented EOS. So a lot of people are like, what in the world is that acronym? Why are we talking about that? But we're going to get into that. Um, and it's been a game changer for us. But Corey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, I, it's cool to be on here because, as you know, I am not only a um, now a guest, but I'm a big fan of your podcast as well. I, I love podcasts. I spend, uh, I don't even know what's cool in music anymore, except for what my daughters listen to. We both have basically two and five-year-old, three and five-year-old daughters. So we're in the same uh, wheelhouse. So we probably know that music pretty well together. but. I don't know what's cool in music anymore because I spend all my time on podcasts, but it is what it is. Same here. Yeah, I can probably, I have all those words memorized to like the new Bruno soundtrack, but that's, or the Encanto soundtrack, sorry. But yeah, I know nothing cool in music because I, I think you and I are both podcast junkies and we, we love it. So no, man, this, this is going to be super fun. Well, I think it's worth calling out like how we even got introduced because you and I are both in um, kind of an entrepreneurship group called EO and um, you meet with other founders and I, I have an agency growth hit and I was talking to other agency owners that were significantly bigger than mine. And I'm just trying to get, you know, when you're talking to people, just trying to extract out their secret sauce, you're like, how'd you do it? Like just trying to like, like soak up everything from them. But literally three agency owners in a row were like, Oh, it was so hard. My life was tough. And then I implemented this thing called EOS and it changed my life. And I, I heard three people say that to me. And then I asked one person, I'm like, okay, what is this and how do I pull it off? And this guy in my group, Adam's like, you need to talk to Corey Wright. I'm like, I don't even know who that is, but okay. And that's how we got introduced is essentially through EO and through a referral. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and I have actually a similar story. To It just led me to becoming uh, an EOS implementer, but I was running a business and was looking for kind of that secret sauce. And we were had crossed the million and a half dollar mark and we were kind of looking to get to the next level. And we were introduced through EO to an implementer like myself. She came in, gave us a 90-minute pitch and kind of shared us shared with us a vision of how she could change our business. And for the next four years, we ran on EOS and um, it changed our business. We turned into a four and a half million dollar business. We were having more fun. We were able to actually shrink in size while we not only grew in revenues, but significantly grew in profits. And so it changed my life. Eventually, that led me to a place where our business had become so efficient that we did not, I, I own the business with my brother. We didn't have a need for probably either one of us anymore, but certainly not both of us. And so we were like, hey, let's figure out a way that we can kind of work out a buyout one way or the other. Uh, he ended up buying me out through the business, which kind of freed me up to do what I wanted to do. I've always been passionate about working with other businesses. I think I have a real knack and a passion for kind of popping the hood and seeing what's going on and trying to find ways to, to make businesses more efficient. But I didn't want to get back into the grind of like an operations day to day right away. And so 
becoming a business coach and, and kind of shifting my focus to becoming EOS implementer was what I wanted to do. And I'd seen the power of it in my own business and to have the ability to kind of transition that into other businesses has been really, really cool over the last, man, almost three years now. Yeah, it's so interesting. With every business, I'm always looking at like, what are those inflection points when you like make your first dollar, you make your first hire, you hit half a million or seven figures or 10 million, whatever those milestones are. And I think as you grow up to be a big business, a lot of times having the right framework for running it, like an EOS is everything. And so we should probably get to the point and talk about what that even means, what that acronym is. And one even like disclaimer that Corey said before this, he's like, Jim, I can't take on any more clients. So he's like, I don't really care about using this podcast episode to get new business because I can't take anymore. Just happy to share. So I thought that was pretty cool. And even putting that disclaimer where it's like, maybe, I mean, maybe that'll make people want you even more that they can't have you, but just putting that out there. But um, okay. So Corey, what, what is EOS? So EOS is a framework for running your business. It's essentially an operating system. It stands for the entrepreneurial operating system. And very much like a iPhone or a computer or anything needs an operating system to kind of organize all of its assets and all of its thoughts and all of its actions, um, a business needs an operating system as well. And so often as founders, we start to launch this business and everything kind of comes together in pieces. I like to think of it kind of like when you're moving through, you just move out of your parents' house, you move into your first dorm or your first apartment and you kind of move around, you just kind of collect furniture and then each next place you move it into, you just kind of put it wherever it fits, but nothing was ever really designed for that house. And growing a business is a lot the same way that you just kind of pull these different people and systems and processes and, and everything kind of comes together. And at some point, it reaches a point where your business can no longer grow or scale the way that you need it to grow and scale without having some sort of a reorganization or a real framework or operating system for running on. And so EOS essentially becomes that operating system that once you reach a point where you kind of find yourself or your business hitting a ceiling, and you want to be able to grow faster, but do it in a less stressful environment, EOS starts to solve a lot of those problems. And if I were to break it down even a step further, EOS does it through basically identifying six key components of your business, and then systematically working to strengthen each one of those. So creating a crystal clear vision where everybody is in alignment, rowing in the same direction, getting the right people in the right seat, so people being the second component to help execute on that vision, starting to collect the right data. So data being the third component so that you're making decisions based on facts and figures instead of egos and feelings and hunches and emotions that entrepreneurial businesses are so often you know, reliant on to make decisions. And then having a really clear system to identify, prioritize, and solve issues around action items, not just around ideas or thoughts. So really issues being kind of a fourth key component, working to build a system to your business so that you can start to scale it and create a consistent and scalable way of operating both internally and externally. And then finally, building traction into your business so that when you see that vision at the very top, that you're actually moving it forward every single day. And so EOS kind of identifies those six key components and then systematically works with the business to start to put tools and disciplines in place to make sure that you're strengthening those every single day. And uh, while Corey was talking, I literally pulled out the workbook that he sent us before we did this. And so people know this, like, okay, a framework for running your business. Got it. And one thing Corey hit on that's really important, think of it in like six different levels. So he said vision, data, people, issues, traction, and process. And within each of those, you literally get almost like the cheat code on how to do those really well. And the thing that blew me away with EOS it's so simple. I think some frameworks get a little too big for the britches. They get a little too smart and cute. EOS, when you break it down, it's like so painfully simple. You're like, why didn't I think of this? But when you put it together, it's extremely impressive. And one thing that I really like is you have something called this toolbox where if you're working on people, they literally know every problem you're going to go through. Like, oh, you have someone that's working, not you don't think is working out. Here's a framework on how to assess if they're the right person in the right seat. Oh, you're having issues as a leader firing yourself from a job. Here's a framework on how to delegate and elevate. And you you might think, and I, I'm guilty of this, like your business is this special snowflake. There's never been anything like it. You're this Steve Jobs-esque leader. And it is so wrong. And it's just like any company can run as a machine without you. And for me, it was super empowering when you laid out like the six steps and then you gave us this toolbox of things to use. 
And our team has just kind of run with it. But I mean, for me, that that toolbox was everything. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. And, and that's the idea is to ultimately, you know, as, as I consider myself kind of like a personal trainer for your business, you can go out and learn. There's nothing that's like mind blowing or, or, or brand new about EOS um, or really any business um, operating system. You know, there's a number of them out there, business made simple and scaling up and um, top teams. And, you know, there's a number of other systems out there that businesses are using. And they're all essentially around some pretty common sense things like having a regular cadence to your meeting, creating action items, installing accountability, starting to track a scorecard, right? And so all, you may call them something different depending on what coaching system or, or what operating system you're using, but you can kind of go figure that stuff out in the same way that you can figure out how to eat a healthy diet and how to go lift weights in the right way and, and, and kind of get strong. But when you hire a personal trainer, it brings in a level of accountability and then just kind of systemizes the whole process to make it to kind of accelerate it. Right. So you have somebody there who's guiding you, somebody who's telling you what muscle groups to work together and who's, you know, when you go home and and there's the cheat meal or the healthy meal sitting in front of you that you know that you're going to have to answer to somebody the next day, you go for the healthy meal instead of the cheat meal. And so there's no real um, like secret code to any of this stuff. It's pretty common sense. And EOS has even put out a book called Traction by Gina Wickman, which is essentially kind of the playbook to what your business should look like when you are really strong in these six key components. And then bringing in, um, you know, in, an implementer like myself or, or any implementer or any business coach is really just kind of keeping you accountable and helping you to do things kind of the right way. People ask like, hey, you know, how can you, how can you work with a business like yours, which is an agency, and then work with another business that's a restaurant chain, and then work with another business that does medical device repairs, and then work with another business that does Amazon, um, you know, that has 2000 Amazon SKUs, and then and just go down the list of all the different types of businesses I work with. The idea is that the problems that exist within business are unique in the sense that you may call them something different, but they all stem from the exact same inefficiencies or problems or challenges within business in general. And those tools will help to strengthen or to work out those issues in just about any business when you're working those the right way. It's so true. And we're going to get into some of the specific tools that you helped us implement that has literally helped us create teams and functions that run something that used to be something I did on a Sunday with like red eyes at 2 a.m. because I didn't have a business that could run itself. I mean, it's, I, there, we're still a ways away, but the progress has been amazing. But, but first, I want to take a step back. People are like, okay, a framework for running my company, that sounds interesting. Is this right for me? Like, who is the business owner? Like, where are they at in their journey when they should be thinking about EOS? Do they need to have a leadership team? Or is it even at the early days as they're starting something? Like, when should someone considering thinking about a framework? And, and one other caveat, we actually almost implemented scaling up, but we decided not because, not that it was too complex, but I thought adoption with EOS would be better for our team. But anyway, um, that was a aside, but would love to see when is EOS right for implementation? Yeah, so if you were to ask EOS, they would say basically two or a couple main criteria, typically two to 50 million in revenues, typically 10 to 250 employees, typically businesses that are what we would call entrepreneurial in nature, meaning that they're open-minded, um, they are more afraid of status quo than they are of change. So if those kind of sound like the business, those would be the things that EOS would say. I would say just talking from a founder to a founder, from, you know, how would I explain it? I would say usually most businesses fall into one of three categories. Either the business is growing too fast and they're watching money fall through the cracks and there's just chaos because they're literally growing too fast without the right systems or support system uh, in place. The second one would be founders who want to be able to step away from the business. So they're too involved day to day and they really want to build a much stronger team below them and they need to implement a true operating system to do that. And then the third one would be teams that feel like they really have product market fit, but they're consistently missing their goals or their targets. And they just feel like it's because there's some inefficiency or they just don't have the right alignment or whatever that may be. And typically the third is the most common um, you know, use case that's going to come to a business coach or to EOS or, or scaling up or any sort of an operating system like that is that you feel like, man, we've definitely demonstrated product market fit, but we just can't figure out why we're regularly falling you know, 20% or 50% short of where we intend to be every year. And it's probably because you just don't have the right focus, the right accountability, the right alignment, potentially the right people. And creating a business operating system will help you to identify those, track those in a much more meaningful way, and ultimately get the traction that you're looking for. 
Wow, you laid that out really well. It's someone that is growing too fast to keep up and you need a framework to keep it in place. Maybe the second founder that wants to sit my ties on an island and let the business just print money for themselves, which we all want to be that one, right? And then the third one is this company that's kind of struggling. They're they're having issues, product market fit, and they, they want to get there. I never heard you lay it out from a, a quantitative standpoint with the size of the company or the revenue size, which makes total sense for me. I think it made sense because you helped us solidify an executive team. And for me, that was huge because we got to actually empower people and get them to run departments. And so that was nice. I will say if I ever launch anything again, I will be doing this from day one, even if it's myself and in a napkin because it's so crucial. Yeah. And there's a, there's a modified version of this, right? And so that, I always like to say like EOS in its purest form, when you have a business that's not doing 2 million or not doesn't have 10 employees, typically or sometimes can feel like having a Ferrari in a neighborhood, right? Where it's like, it's got all this horsepower, but it's overkill for, for the speed limit that you can actually go. And until you start to get on roads with higher speed limits or freeways, you don't need all of those tools in place. And so you can modify things. I do work with some teams that are smaller than... Uh, 10 employees, smaller than 2 million in revenue. And some of those teams will meet biweekly instead of weekly because meeting weekly is just too much. They they sit, you know, like when you have a team of six, you have this kind of sharing of information by osmosis. You're in the same room together. You spend all the time together. You hear the conversations that are taking place. There's nothing that's that far away from your own knowledge set just from, from kind of this osmosis. So meeting every single week for 90 minutes can seem like overkill. And so I just like to think of it like, you know, build, preparing to have that Ferrari so that you know that when you get onto the bigger roads, you have the horsepower, but understanding what some of those things are that you may not need to implement immediately and being ready and aware of when you need to start putting those in place. That's an awesome analogy. Um, okay, so founders like, okay, this sounds interesting. I fall into that sweet spot. But if you could break it down, you've seen this so many times with different business models. People, after they do EOS, what are the three to five biggest impacts they can have on your business? If you could put more descriptors behind it. By the way, I've also answered this question, so I'll answer it after you. So I'm interested to hear your response. It's a good question. I would say, um, I mean, there's so many different things, but it, when I look at kind of all the businesses I work with, the things that seem to be pretty similar. First one is that it really creates a people realignment. And, and that happens in two ways. One is that like you really realize who are the wrong people in your organization and who are the right. When you start to clearly identify your core values, and start to run people through that filter. When you start to clearly identify the roles and the structure for your organization and try and put people in seats, you really start to figure out some people that just aren't providing the same amount of value or don't have the same alignment or or values with the organization as others. And sometimes, you know, usually what I see is that a transition takes place with those people. Sometimes people you thought were leaders would rather take a backseat. Sometimes you thought people who were ready for the backseat and that's all they could do, step up to be leaders. But I see that through either the founder or the leadership team making tough decisions, or sometimes it just happens naturally that people don't like accountability. They've been like kind of hiding in the background the whole time, not doing their job. And as soon as you bring in EOS, which becomes this layer of accountability, that all of a sudden they're out and they'd rather go somewhere else. And so I think the people realignment is one of the big things. And that process does not happen overnight and it does not happen easily. But usually after about 12 months of EOS, you've really reorganized and taken um, and really created strength in terms of uh, the people in your organization. Jim, this is something that wasn't tough for you. Uh, I think you are, are, have been very values-driven early on, but many businesses do struggle with this. And I always like to say that culture is created at the fringes. And so to the degree that you let people kind of exist in your organization that don't truly share your values, they will set the culture for your organization. And so pulling that the fringes in way closer to the center require sometimes tough decisions or really clearly stating those values to get the wrong people out. I would say a couple other things. You asked for three to five. I'll try and uh, rip through these a little bit quicker. But um, I would say just creating a real structure and accountability, which ultimately helps to set, I think, clear focus, but then actionable items. So often I see teams who identify things they want to get done, and it's done in like a think tank without ever real actionable items or accountability on the back end to make sure that to to clearly establish what was going to be done by who and by when, and then having a process or a system for actually checking in on that and holding people accountable. And so I think EOS really creates that. I always like to say EOS becomes the bad guy 
Jim, you don't have to be the bad guy. Or Jonathan, who's your uh, integrator, doesn't have to be the bad guy constantly checking in on people because there's a cadence and a structure that says, great, every week we're going to show up and you're, we're going to ask, did you do the things you said you were going to do? And we don't ever move on from an issue without clearly identifying what I call a WWW, a, a what, a who, and a when. What's going to be done by who and by when? We now have an action item that we can check in and, be, and hold people accountable. I would say um, from the vision side of things, creating team alignment, oftentimes founders have this vision in their head that rarely gets shared or communicated um, properly to their team, if at all. Um, and sometimes that's because the founder doesn't have real clarity on it. And sometimes it's just because they fail to communicate that. And EOS, one of the first things EOS does is install some core disciplines, but then starts to layer a vision on top of all of that and make sure that that's clearly communicated to the leadership team. And um, I think it starts to create a common vision. It starts to create a common language. So when you guys talk about like your level 10 meetings or your, your, your VTO or your core values or your core focus, like these are now terms that you and everybody in your organization can know. And just having a common language I think creates some sort of unity and buy-in that doesn't exist when it just kind of lives in your head. And then I would say the final thing is that it just creates focus from both quarter to quarter and week to week. And it's something that entrepreneurial businesses, we have so many ideas. We have this huge backlog of things that we're thinking about doing and we want to be doing or that are in process. But when you start to identify things uh, in the way that EOS organizes them and creating real accountability, it forces you to create massive amounts of focus so that you really only have to look at one thing at a time and kind of move forward. There's a great book by Gary Keller called The One Thing, which, um, you know, he kind of poses the question, what one thing can I be doing or working on today or accomplish today? That in by doing so would make everything else either easier or disappear entirely. And I start to think about like, this is what EOS does. It forces leaders and people who are part of the, the organization to think in that capacity every single week and every single quarter. Um, and doing And by doing so, I tend to see a lot more businesses working proactively instead of reactively to get things done. So I'd say those are probably some of the key takeaways and things that you can experience um, or, or should start to see through EOS. Yeah, well, first, the three things you said that were really good were EOS is the bad guy, which is so true. And to put more color on that, we have our what is called a level 10 meeting. Um, and it's with our executive team every Monday. And it's not me as the founder being like, hey, Jonathan, where's that thing that we talked about last week? It's like, hey, let's talk about what are rocks and things that we all promised we'd get done in 30, 60, 90 days. And you just go through, are you on track or off track with it? And what's so nice, you don't really give any color. If it's off track, it goes to your issues list. And every single Monday, it's just a literally you're standing up and you're saying if you're accountable or not with those rocks. And that's been huge because I'm not the bad guy. It's about the, this process. You also said something culture is created at the fringes. Oh man, it is so true. You can have everything right, but it takes one or two bad apples to ruin everything. And EOS um, attacks that very, very well. And then the following one, um, focus. I think focus is the hardest thing to do in business. And by setting up your rocks and your vision, it, it really opens that up. But um, to answer your question, what I had, so this is what I had. Uh, I already mentioned level 10 meetings, which is the weekly accountability meeting essentially with your executive team. Um, within that, this is what's magical. So any business owners listening to this, we have this thing called a scorecard that it's essentially tracking 10 metrics. I know everything that's going on in my business with these 10 metrics that the executive team updates. I'm a part of that, so I have to update it as well. But that is a game changer to have that data set that is presented every Monday where if I wanted to take a sabbatical, I feel comfortable in running the business with those 10 KPIs. Like we talked about the rocks, like setting out like our quarterly, like big rocks that we want to accomplish. That's been huge because, you know, I get shiny object syndrome. I can throw people in different directions every week. But when we have to be like, hey, for the quarter, here's what matters. Like we've accomplished more in the past four months with rocks than we had before. And we're, we're a pretty efficient team. Another one, um, I'll, the last two that I have is the accountability chart. People are, so, are, it's the hardest part of business. And to have a framework on how to evaluate if someone's right or wrong has been huge. And it's based on your core values and if they're able to, to do the job well um, and, and a few other things. And for us, we've had to make some tough decisions, but uh, EOS helped accelerate that and make the right decisions. And our, I feel very good about our people and our culture right now. And then um, the core values, you know, core values, I feel, I feel like it's one of those things that 
people talk so much about, but it's kind of BS and I don't buy into it, but I do like the framework for how EOS approaches it. Cause Corey, this is, you did something really well. Like when we had to do core values, it wasn't like, Hey, think of cool buzzwords like determination or integrity. You're like, Hey, take the A plus talent at your team and literally write examples of things they do that you like that represent what you want future people to do. And it was very tangible and real. And so when we had our core values, they're all unique. They're a little quirky. And we presented them and people just got a kick out of it. And it's something that really resonates. So I thought that was, um, it's one of those exercises. I was like, oh, this is going to be lame. But it worked out to be quite strong. So those were my takeaways. Not sure what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, there's a lot of little kumbaya moments within this where they kind of seem cheesy. But at the end of the day, uh, they really work. and, And it's, you know, when you... Um, when you can just kind of go with the process and accept that and, and get through it at the end, you can look back. We haven't done any sort of an annual thing or, or an annual um, two day like retreat with you. When we get there, there's some even more kumbaya stuff that's like building team health and stuff. But at the end of the day, you look back and you go, wow, that was those were magical moments that we've created. So core values. Um, we'll get into this probably later, but I am not only a uh, business coach, I'm also an entrepreneur as well. I've got a new project where I'm building a play and earn game on the blockchain, yada, yada. It's a huge project though. We literally just closed our private A. We raised it like 28 million. This is a six month old business. We're building a massive project and business. It's really, really cool. But we took the the step of implementing core values about a week ago. And we had a decision that we were were building um, a a decentralized exchange and and it's outside of our core competency. We're looking for a partner to bring in. And we have one partner who's going to charge us like $1.5 $1.5 million to build this. And we have another partner who's going to probably charge like two to $300,000. And we're kind of evaluating these things and, and looking at kind of pros and cons and going through this. And I looked at my CEO and I said, um, I said, what are we doing? I said, let's just go back to our core values. Our core values are execute to perfection, think big, no, 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 bigger, and make it fun. And those are our three core values. And I said, if that's what we're looking at, this two to $300,000 company, if if we're going to be as big as we want and we want to execute to perfection, what's our level of confidence that they can execute to perfection over the $1.5 million business? What's the level of confidence that they can help us scale to the size that we need to be and that we intend to be when we're building a, you know, when we're choosing a little bit of a cheaper partner? And it was right then that it clicked for us and it immediately made the decision. And it was a decision to spend an extra $1.2 or $1.3 million with an expensive decision. But that's our values. And I we are so confident moving that direction now, but it was really, really cool that we were able to just look back at our values and say, listen, this is who we are. Why would we even debate this decision? And so you can talk about values and put them on the wall and that's great. But when you start to make decisions around them and you've heard me say this a million times, are you willing to hire, fire, review, reward, and recognize people based on your values? If so, you can bring those fringes in and you can really start to build a culture at your organization. It also becomes a decision-making process. So the values is one of the most fun exercises. You guys uh, had some fun ones as well that I, I really thought were um, were cool. And, you know, I, I've always said I would love to be a part of your company if I was uh, an employee somewhere. You've you built such a cool culture and, and such a strong team. I think it's really cool. Think big, no bigger. That is, uh, man, we might need to steal that one and make that a sixth one. That's pretty good. <laughs> but it is cool when you see your values in action because you're like, oh, wow, we did think through that the right way, especially when other people start to run with it. It is really powerful that it's hard to articulate, but that, man, that was a, that was a really good example. So I'm interested in where can EOS go wrong? Like any horror stories on this, because to be honest, it didn't go wrong for us. But what I didn't realize, the people that were in our meeting, they need to just be on the executive team. And when we were building out our overall org chart and who should be on the executive team, it worked out perfectly. But I was like, oh, man, I could see where this goes wrong, where all of a sudden someone feels like they're on the outside and not on the inside. Or or maybe you know their values don't align. But But any color you can give on that to make founders that are implementing this be aware of where this could go wrong. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. So the first session I ever showed up to, you can imagine how nervous I was. It was my very first business. The founder happened to be a friend of mine. But we got in and one of the very first things you do is you, you establish that accountability chart, which is essentially an organizational chart. But you're building your leadership team out. And we ended up with six seats on the leadership team and we had seven people in the room. And we start going through and assigning names and putting basically names in seats. And there was one gentleman who was left off the, 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 the accountability chart. And I kind of looked at them and said, great, 
this is your leadership team. Everybody who has a name in the seat, welcome to the leadership team. I looked at the one guy, I said, listen, just because you're not on a leadership team doesn't mean we, we're asking you to leave. We'll kind of make a decision as a team if we think that you should be back here with the next planning session. And he checked out for about the next 10 minutes quietly and then just backed his chair out and walked out of the room and was like, not right. Now, this is my first session I've ever coached. Like, I've never had anything go as like, like emotionally like difficult to me, right? Like, because I care about everybody that I'm, that I'm in the room with. I'm emotionally invested in the business and the team. And so that was kind of one of the, the, one of the things. So bringing too many people. And I think you had asked me like, hey, who's, and usually the founder does, like, who should I bring to that first meeting? And I usually say it's better to have people that you know will be on the leadership team. And if you're not sure, either kind of prep them ahead of time that this, we're going to kind of organize our leadership team. Some people will make it and some won't, or leave them out. We can always bring them in later once we kind of go through that accountability chart. But at a higher level, I would say where this really goes wrong is if the founder or leaders at the top who we think are going to end up being visionary integrator are not in lockstep and bought into this whole system. I always say, as goes the leadership team, so goes the organization. Well, as goes the visionary integrator, so goes the leadership team. And when we have either, you know, a visionary who's bought in, but an integrator who's not, or maybe we have, you know, two founders or just a solo founder who's like, sure, we'll do this, but I'm not, if you can win me over, great. It just never goes well. And so I would say having founders that are bought in sets the tone for this entire thing. I think that's where it really goes right. Uh, Where it really goes right is when they're bought in. And then I think there's uh, that same team, my next meeting. Uh, God bless him. He's still a friend of mine and uh, still trusts me to, to help coach his business. But the very next meeting, I always show up an hour before the meeting so that I can get set up. And and uh, we do ours via Zoom just because you're so distributed. But uh, when I show up in person, I show up an hour, I get my whiteboard set up, the whole thing. So I showed up at 8.05 for my nine o'clock meeting and everybody was sitting in the room. And I was like, wow, you guys are early. And they're like, eight o'clock. I was like, oh man, we're starting at eight o'clock. Uh, and I looked at my calendar. Sure enough, it was eight o'clock. For some reason, I had I, I had thought it was nine o'clock or something. And so I was like, well, give me 10 minutes. I'll get a setup. I apologize for this. Anyways, so those my first two meetings uh, had had some challenges. But from there, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah the, yeah. the leadership one is really good advice. And it makes sense. Founders seem to be on the same page. It sounds obvious, but so many companies break up because of the, you know, the founding team disagreements and whatnot. Um, the other thing I'm kind of, you know, I'm quite, we'll, we'll just say uh, frugal or uh, cost effective with my business. However, I think there's times where you need to not be some scrappy founder and you need to invest. And I was like, oh, do we self-implement or get an implementer? And I just knew the, I felt the impact could be huge, that it was a no-brainer to get an implementer. And I'll be honest, not to, and again, you're, you're not even trying to sell your services. You're, you're not taking any more clients, but I don't think we would have had the impact if we would have implemented ourselves because along the way you had so many, not necessarily tricks, but just showing us on how to do something the right way. And there's something about having a, a non-biased, objective third party that just cares about implementation and doesn't have you know, a horse in the race. And I thought that helped us do it much faster and do it much more effectively. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think we could have done it ourselves. I, I think it would have been at like 50% of what you did. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, I've at this point, I've probably implemented or, or, or ran uh, somewhere between 100 and 150 sessions. I work with, you know, pr- I, at any given time, I work with between 10 and 15 businesses and I've graduated a couple. Like, I've just seen a lot, right? I've seen almost every dynamic. Every, I talked about this earlier, that no business is that unique in the problems and challenges that they face. They all just have a slightly different, you know, uh, dressing to it, right? And um, and, and so all I needed, your dressing is your own, but your problems are the exact same as other businesses. And so having somebody in the room who's seen that a hundred times, just like when you go to launch or or now I, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit later again, kind of the founder side of where I'm at, but like launching businesses for me now is, is kind of like a Wednesday. Like I've just done it before, you know? And so um, being a first time founder, you go through all those problems for the first time. And I look at like what, what I'm building with the the play and earn game. I've brought advisors in who the same thing, they've been through this a hundred times and they can help me kind of watch out for the landmines and steer me in the right direction, connect me with the right people. And I think just having that, there's a ton of value in that. And again, I'm not trying to sell whether you should or not. I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of challenge and good, at, like in a positive challenge as well to going through and like reading traction and self-implementing. 
but there's certainly value if you're serious about implementing it the same way that if you're serious about getting in, in shape, hiring a personal trainer is another level of commitment that will help you get there faster. Yeah, totally agree. Well, this is a great segue to, you know, I think what's cool about you doing EOS is you get so many reps at seeing different business models and industries. That's that's actually what I like about the agency model is we can accelerate how fast we see different businesses, right? And get access to what they're doing. So if could you give people context on, you know, what did you do before EOS to have like success as a founder? And then we'll get into what you're doing now, but can you give more background on you as more of an entrepreneur? Yeah, so um, I launched my first business. I think I was like 20 years old uh, with my brother. My parents were in real estate um, and we're talking like 20 years ago, right? And so they were in real estate. They wanted to get from like paper mailers and marketing into like email, which was pretty visionary for, for that, for my parents, my old parents. And uh, I think it was just because they were trying to wind down their business. And so they kind of hit up their techie sons to be like, can you build us an email system? We literally put together like distribution lists and Outlook and then turned what they were doing in traditional marketing into like PDFs and would put them as attachments and send them out to their entire database. Well, as crazy as it sounds, emails used to be like text messages where they got opened and like we we're kind of excited to get them, although text messages are kind of moving away from that now. But where text messages were a couple of years ago where we'd be like excited. And so it actually ramped up their business. And so a couple other agents of theirs in the office said like, hey, can your boys help me set this up? So we started helping other people. And that eventually turned into a business where we were kind of doing like a productized service of like a weekly email newsletter blast to, to your entire database. And so over time, that grew into becoming more of like your website and your blogger and your social media and, and all that stuff. We did a lot of training and, and to, to kind of pick up clients and would teach and train on social media and things in, in offices and eventually got asked to build like a recruiting tool so we went out and built a recruiting tool for Keller Williams, which is a national brokerage. They've got about 750 locations. They're now a worldwide brokerage. At the time, they were the third largest uh, real estate brokerage in the United States um, in terms of the agent count. And they wanted us to go out and basically help them recruit more agents to work at Keller Williams. They're now the largest brokerage in the world. Um, I, I'm not saying that we were the only reason, but I can tell you that we had a significant impact. We probably have over the years helped them recruit and hire somewhere between 30 and 50,000 real estate agents. Um, with a tool that we built, which was like a SaaS tool that was a lead generation system. Um, and then turn that into like a licensing program. So we built like an affiliate deal. So we are now helping agents get licensed, get placed at a brokerage. And then we had the marketing services to kind of tack on the back. And so we built like this full service kind of three different products under one umbrella. We eventually got bored. We had brought in EOS. We eventually got bored. I kind of mentioned this. Everything was just firing on all cylinders. And I had a friend in EO who was in 2016 and just launched, was like going to in, through an e-commerce class. And I was like, that looks fun. And they forced him to launch an e-commerce business. My wife went out of town for a weekend and I told my brother, I said, let's launch an e-commerce business. And he's like, all right. So I was like, find a good product. I'll launch the store. And so he decided that we should sell Donald Trump bobbleheads. Quick disclaimer, it has nothing to do with my political beliefs, positive or negative. I just want to say this was a product in a store that we decided to launch. And so we reached out to China and Alibaba. We found a Donald Trump bobblehead. We ordered a thousand of them. I launched a Shopify website and I wanted to just kind of see what I could learn. It was a tuition experiment, not intended to ever be a business. We then launched some Facebook ads and we accidentally kind of hit it right at the sweet spot of Facebook and started selling bobbleheads and people wanted these Donald Trump bobbleheads. And so eventually we sold over 75,000 Donald Trump bobbleheads oh, leading up oh to the election, my God. Uh, <laughs> which was nuts. And so we were now an e-commerce business in addition to like a, a, a um, you know, a SaaS business and a productized service business and an affiliate business. So now we kind of had all these things working under one hood and um, figure out a way to kind of organize those. So that's kind of what brought me into this space was just kind of, um, or, or that's kind of my entrepreneurial journey um, of launching businesses and, and kind of testing things out and, and finding product market fit and growing from there. Dude, that's such a good story. And taking a step back, partnering with your brother, can you talk to the size or the scale that you got to with like, you know, the recruiting business with with your brother, with Keller Williams? Like what what did that look like? I don't know what you can or cannot say. Yeah, I can share everything. We're an open book here. Um, so we got the uh, recruiting business. So the productized service grew to about a grew to about a three hundred thousand dollar business at one point. We realized that took way more time and energy for the money that we were getting. So we intentionally shrunk that. We actually ended up offloading that um, to a web developer partner of ours over time. We grew the recruiting business to about a $1.5 million recurring revenue SaaS wow. business. 
that ran at like 85% profitability. It was insane. Isn't that uh, the I know beautiful that you, thing about SaaS? It's like, why don't we just all do SaaS? That's amazing. <laughs> I know how much you're obsessed with building and finding that right SaaS business. Remember, we launched this in like 2010. So it was before SaaS was really like a model or recurring revenue was really a term. And so we kind of were early in this space, but we were able to build it. We've been able to kind of hold those revenues over time. The e-commerce store, when we launched it, we launched it. Our first sale was about May 20th of 2016. We did almost $3 million in e-commerce sales for the last seven months of that year or six, yeah, seven months of that year. And we continued to do about $3 million of sales each year after that. So the election obviously created a little bit of a spike. But then after that, we still continued to run about $3 million of business. So we always bounced around somewhere between like four and five million, usually somewhere right around about four and a half million by the time I left. Dude, that's amazing. And you almost have this superpower by being able to spin up a business like because first off, launching a business is hard, but being able to have it operate where it isn't dependent on the founder is kind of a secret weapon to be able to launch it, implement like an operating system, and then you can move on to the next thing. So you could essentially be your own micro private equity firm of different things you're launching and spinning up. So um, do that, that. That's super energizing. Yeah, I will say that it wasn't built that way until we brought EOS in and we realized that I needed to delegate. I needed to separate myself because when for the first, you know, many, many years of building that business to, you know, over a million dollar business of recurring, I was the salesman. I was the operator of the company. I was everything. And so people would call for me, like call my cell phone because that's the way I built the business. And eventually I had to bring in a team and start building, you know, transitioning, you know, so that my inbox was managed by somebody else and that I could transition cell phone. And so that was definitely a shift that had to take place. And I would encourage any business that you're building to really try and build a business that is not dependent on people. It's dependent on systems and process and, and, you know, kind of creating general support inboxes where people can dip in and out of. But when the relationship to a product or a business is with a person, as opposed to the product or the service, it becomes really difficult when, people move around or things change or somebody goes on vacation. And so just giving a little bit of foresight to that, sometimes early on, there's no way around that. But as quickly as you can detach people from the success of a business, I think is important. I totally agree. And even to take a step back, so on the recruiting business, it sounds like going to that next level was going from productized service to SaaS and really getting that flagship client of Keller Williams and being able to grow with them. And then on the e-commerce side of things, it sounds like you did two things really well around timing was going after something that's naturally viral and very topical with the election and then riding the wave of growth on Facebook to get favorable acquisition costs so you could scale. Um, were, were those kind of the, the two inflection points of, of growing those two things? Yeah, 100%. And uh, it, it, man, it was just a lot of fun. But yeah, it, it, um, it came with some some challenges. Uh, I could share with you so many cool stories about that e-commerce store um, that, you know, things that I learned and, and things that it taught me. Because when you go from literally just trying to launch to, to buy a thousand bobbleheads um, that you're going to basically ship into your class A office where we're on the 28th floor of Symphony Towers in San Diego. Like that was our office. We weren't a we weren't a warehouse or an e-commerce. We were a, a, an agency, you know, a marketing business. And so um, we were just going to ship those thousand bobbleheads up there, have a packing party one weekend with our team, ship out a thousand orders. And all of a sudden, we now have 10,000 bobbleheads on the way, like being produced. And like we built an entire supply chain. And over that time, we ended up getting sued. Uh, we ended up having PayPal lock up. I don't know, $200,000 of our money for over a year. Um, there was just a lot of, we, we had a, our first um, like 3PL partner had our very first shipment and they lost like half of the shipment on day one when we had 8,000 people that had been waiting for over 90 days for their product. Like all these things, I, I, I can tell you, it just put gray hairs on my head, like all the things that we were doing, but there was all the excitement in the back end to kind of fuel that. And so it was a lot of ups and downs, but it was a really, really fun business. And it, it taught me how to run an e-commerce business. And it was kind of the biggest challenge and excitement in business that I'd had to date. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas you have this SaaS business that's printing an 80% margin, uh, the e-commerce business is the one with the fun stories and, and battle scars. Um, very cool. So um, talk about what you're doing now as you're kind of, you know, you're always kind of a tinkerer, but you're doing some something at a pretty massive scale. If, if I'd love to hear more. I am. I'm the essentially one of the four core partners of uh, building a planner and game on the blockchain 
and um, forget about what the product is, but uh, I'll kind of tell you what I do and what my day looks like, which is so cool and exciting. So uh, my my CEO is in Dubai. My other partners are in Florida and Puerto Rico. Um, so we're distributed there. My development team is in Oman. Um, my investors, advisors, and partners are all over the world. So I'm trying to think of, I talked to somebody earlier today in Singapore at an 11 p.m. meeting last night with somebody who was in, um, she uh, was in Romania. Uh, I had, so like, it's crazy that I, uh, it's like meetings that are Zoom meetings and all that stuff. I've got so many projects that we're organizing. Uh, part of the cool thing about this is that we're, we're building a community. So like the game builds community. We've got a Discord community of several thousand people um, that we get to like interact with. I feel like I'm kind of like um, a band, you know, that's like this small band that's growing that like people are attaching to and they want to be a part of and they see the excitement and they're they're just excited to be a part of the community. And I feel like we are that small band that's growing into slightly larger venues and larger venues. And we ultimately see ourselves as, as playing amphitheaters, uh, you know, when you kind of talk about the business space. But I'm flying around to conferences again. I was in Dubai three weeks ago. I was just in San Francisco this week for a gaming developers conference. Um, it's it's just really cool. It's back into full throttle operator mode, COO, um, organizing a team, keeping people motivated. But I will tell you, I have never, ever been more well-prepared to be an operator of a business than operating a business for 15 years, stepping away to do coaching for three years and, and helping to basically like, that was my master's degree in operating a business and then getting to step back in is really, really cool. By the way, I am launching a, a, a massive play and earn mobile blockchain game, the whole thing. I am not a gamer, which makes this entirely interesting in itself, right? But I can kind of take uh, the idea of what I know about operating a business, layer that on top, bring in the right partners, advisors, and all those who are gamers and do know blockchain and do know all that stuff. And as long as I can uh, be fluent in the language, um, it, you know, it, it makes it quite easy. But so that's what I'm doing right now. But I will say that my primary focus is still to the 10 clients that I'm still coaching, just like you is my number one priority and focus um, and always will be because that's where my first obligation was. And I was very clear about that with my team when I launched that I have pre-existing obligations. That's why I'm not taking on new, any new coaching clients, but um, it, I, I dip in and out between those two things frequently, um, you know, in, in, in coaching sessions and then going back to, to kind of operating a crazy global distributed uh, business, which is really fun. Yeah, dude, that is super exciting. And I, I love how you put that narrative, being able to run a business, do coaching for a while, then as you step back in, you have the experience and, and, and so much more insight on how to run it the right way. And I actually think the fact that you're not a gamer is potentially an advantage where I actually think I would be a, a better leader of the company if I also wasn't a marketer because I'm so always, I always get... I throw myself into meetings to be the person that's being the, the growth lead on them. And it can be the thing that also stops our growth. So um, no, man, that, that's super exciting. I'm excited to learn more and um, whatever we could link out to or whenever that's the right time, let me know. But um, the, uh, the, 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 the question I always like to end with is what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your career? So it's funny. I've been listening to your podcast ever since we first met and uh I always hear this question. And so I think of it, everybody who's listening right now is thinking how they would answer that question too, because it applies to everybody. And I've never really had a good answer, but I knew I was coming on. So I had to think of an answer. I will tell you, it's still not a great answer. But, you know, when I think of somebody who like really has done something that I think like taking, like basically taking a chance on, on somebody is the nicest thing that you can do for them in business, right? Like saying, I believe in you, even though you haven't really been shown yet. And I look back to early on when I was probably 25 or 26, probably wearing an oversized suit, going up in front of rooms of, of realtors where there's 20 or 30 realtors and trying to teach them about technology and all these things and hoping to walk out with a couple of clients. And there was somebody who my dad, who was a realtor, had actually sold his house years before they had kind of become friends. And he was a regional director of Fidelity National Title. Well, title companies have close relationships with realtors. He would mentor me and he was in Santa Barbara. I would drive up there from Orange County to Santa Barbara, which is about a two and a half hour drive as frequently as he would let me, which was about once every quarter. I'd try and get up there. He'd take me out to lunch, but he'd spend an hour with me and just would mentor me. And um, it was one, he did not have time for that. I know it. He had such bigger things to be doing. And he eventually ended up connecting me with, um, pardon me, he was not a regional director. He was like a, a United States like territory director, connected me with the regional director down in LA and in the Empire in San Diego, and basically gave me a full-throated endorsement. We ended up signing a licensing deal with each of those counties. 
I don't even think because they wanted the deal. I think he was just doing us a favor, but it was the thing that put our business into the first $100,000 in terms of like actually just grinding for years and years and years and finally getting that big contract. And I will say without that, I may not have ever been able to continue that business. And I don't know if he saw that or if he saw something in me or if he saw something in our business. But when I look back, the nicest thing that ever somebody's ever done for me in my career, I think Tom Evans, who, who's recently passed away, but um, I think what he did for me was uh, was just absolutely incredible. And, and uh, I'll forever be grateful for that. That's an awesome story. It's so true because when you're just like getting started, you're just like hoping somebody will give you a break or take a chance. And the uh, the fact that he's like meeting with you for lunch, man, that's amazing. But he clearly saw something. But that, that, that's a great story. So that, that was a fantastic answer. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> well, cool. Well, Corey, dude, this was a blast. It's It's been beyond fun to like have you as kind of our like executive and business coach at, at growth head. And it's also fun to, you know, compare stories on stuff you're working on and, and what we're working on. And then as uh, as fellow girl dads, we, we have a lot, lot in common, but um, what, where can we point people? Cause I will say your website's pretty slick and you have really good YouTube content. Uh, people should, that's actually why one of the reasons that closed us to hire you was, was some of your content that you create that's that's quite fantastic. But where can people go if they want to learn more about you and, and follow things that you're up to? Yeah, so coreywright.com, C-O-R-E-Y-W-R-I-G-H-T.com is my website. There's contact form on there. I'm Corey at Corey Wright. While I'm not taking on any new clients, uh, anybody who has coaching questions or challenges, or you've got one problem that you want me to help you think through, if you need a referral to an EOS implementer or a business coach who is taking clients, reach out to me. I promise you, I will give every single person who needs it as much time as they need to help you think through or walk through those programs, like I said, or problems. Like I said, my number one focus is still business coaching, even though it doesn't take the majority of my time um, you know, from my from my day to day or, or, or what I'm doing in my week. But yeah, um, you can follow me there. If you're interested at all in the game, it's honey.land. The game is called Honeyland. Uh, that would be more just a- That's a great URL that you got. Well done. Cool. So, so that's it. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to connect with me, always happy to chat. Love to hear about other businesses. That's still my number one passion in life is hearing from and, and helping other businesses uh, through whatever challenges they're going through. And Corey, this was a blast. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.